Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Over 1,000 die in a 7.5 earthquake that destroys villages in Turkey. First San Diego Comic-Con opens in the Grand Hotel, and the U.S. ends commercial well hunting. This is March 1970, and you're listening to What the Rip. I'm Wayne. I'm Bruce. I'm Rob, and we have our friend of the show, Bill Cook, with us this morning. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. I'm uh, proud to be a riffy. All right. <laughs> Welcome, Bill, and Rob brings this classic album with yes, us. Yes, I do. You recognize the pipes of Burton Cummings singing here for the Guess Who. The Guess Who's from Canada, and this has got to be their best album. I mean, it, they've got some good stuff out there, but this is great from March of 1970. This was their sixth album, American Woman. We're listening to No Time. I love the sound of this. Yeah. I mean, it's just got that it's got that late 60s, early 70s Vietnam era vibe, I think. I know I was talking over it, but that, that guitar in her, that, that very fuzzy guitar, yeah. that has such a great sound. And there it is there right there. There it is. Listen to that. Yeah, that's just cool. Yeah, we were talking before the show, and, and yeah, it is. This is something that is kind of in the, it's trapped in the, the time. You know, you re- definitely get that early 70s. Yeah, it's great. This this actually was released initially on their uh, previous album, Canned Wheat. And then this version came out, it's better known, and it's a little bit faster in tempo, which I thought was kind of interesting that they put it on two albums. This is another album that is really good to listen to in headphones. You, you pull out different elements of it that you wouldn't. I like that the bass line. That's a neat bass yeah. line that's going there. And just listen to the uh, harmonies. Yeah. No time for the killing floor. We've heard of the killing floor before. You know, Led Zeppelin had down on the killing floor. There's a lot of killing floors, blues songs. So that the band members were Burton Cummings, lead vocals and rhythm guitar. Randy Bachman, lead guitar and backing vocals. You hear him there. You know who Randy ended up going to play for? Yeah, I was just thinking when you said Randy Bachman, that's Bachman Turner Overdrive. Wait a minute, right? you've na- you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. After this album, Randy left and formed Bachman Turner Overdrive. He was one of the founding members for the Guess Who. And then you also have Jim Cale on the bass, mm-hmm. backing vocals. And then you have Gary Peterson on drums, backing vocals. So they all they all sang. Well, before we move on from this song, I do want to say um, I was a DJ in college at, at, at in Auburn. And during finals... Um, I happened to just figured I'd play this song, and I'd got all these phone calls. They were going, "Buddy, I'm trying to study. You're telling me I have no time left for the, for the, to study well, for the final." <laughs> well, it's actually a reverse "Dear John" letter. Like he's telling the girl, "I got no time." 
Oh, wow. That's what it's about. That's interesting. Yeah, so don't don't ever dedicate this to a lady. <laughs> <laughs> I like that backup. Yeah. You know, the, the drummer, Gary Peterson, left and went to BTO also. Yes, but he is the only remaining member that's touring right now as uh, the Guess Who. And he's the only one left. Are they touring today? Well, they're still making appearances and recording. Uh-huh. Gary Peterson. So it's a ghost band. That's right. I forgot that he went to Bachman Turner Overdrive. Well, this next one is probably their best known, and it's actually the name of the album. Oh, I like this start. Yeah, it gives that little slow pickup, yeah. You don't always hear this little prelude on you, this. You do on classic radio. You Classic yeah. rock radio you do, but uh, I, I love this song. I like this version better than yeah. the remake. Yes. But I know a lot of people like the remake by Lenny Kravitz, but no, nah, this one right here. There's an uh, interesting story to how this came up. There was a, there was they were at a concert and Bachman broke a string on his guitar, so he was impro- uh, doing a little improvisation while he tuned his new string up, and he started playing this riff, and he was like, "Ooh, I like that," mm-hmm. and then Cummings jumped in with some lyrics and some other uh, instruments. And uh, they're like, this is awesome. We want to make this into a song. They say, so then um, they found a kid who was in the audience that was recording it on his cassette tape. And they got his cassette tape so they would remember what they played. Oh, that's a lot of, a lot of musicians do do that because you do forget. I mean, the, obviously the m- most radical one you've heard of is it's Keith Richards and I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And when he, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, he wrote it down, and the next morning he saw, oh, wait, I, I, I can't get no satisfaction. He goes, oh, I do now remember that. Yeah, you have to do that, I think. This, this is the riff that he was playing when he, when he came up with it, and he said, oh, this is great. Again, a great uh, Vietnam-era kind of uh, song. Sure. You hear the lyrics there. And people have debated about, is this political? Is this a political song? Yeah. Well, I was kind of curious with it being a, a Canadian band singing American Woman. What is that What is that about? Stay away from me. I think you might have an answer for us, right? I do have an answer. So Bachman says, what was on my mind was that girls in the States seemed to get older quicker than our girls. And that made them, well, dangerous. When I said American woman stay away from me, I really meant Canadian woman, I prefer you. It was all a happy accident. <laughs> I bet he didn't explain that right away though, did he? Yeah, right. Well, they, were, they actually were asked to play um, at the White House for the Nixon family, uh, but they didn't let them play American woman. Oh really? Yeah, because they thought about the pop political implications. <laughs> this is a great uh, a great song, though. It's their most successful song as well. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I saw another note that uh, Bachman said when when they found out that this had topped the charts, he said that they celebrated like girls at a pajama party by jumping on a bed in joy, and they accidentally <laughs> broke it. <laughs> they were just like, we're in the charts. Chart topper. Yeah, um, you know, it is kind of funny because, I mean, 
Canada is part of America, so you, you've got American women. Well, the area that they're from, they're in the central part uh, is where they came from. The, Winnipeg. Basically, the, plain, the plains area. Are they area. from Winnipeg? They're, and it gets cold up there. Yeah, and they're in the plains area. So, they're. I mean, it's very similar to, say, Nebraska, the... the you know, Iowa's and, and, and down to Kansas and Oklahoma. They're very similar. Uh, we talked about it before, but I, I saw, I, I looked and watched tons of documentaries, and I've watched a while ago on Randy Bachman yeah. about how, he, you know, starting out as just this little, little band that played nothing but, you know, your, your pool halls and, yeah. you know, high school dances and things like that. And they are really lionized in, up in Canada in their area. I mean, they everybody knows where they grew up. Yeah, they grew up there. That's his old house. That's, you know, everybody knows who they are. I think they were the first big Canadian rock band. Yeah, probably so. I think I read that somewhere. That they were like the Good first yep. to really hit the charts and do well in the U.S. <laughs> Stay away from me. I'm still thinking about that, that, uh, that American women get get older I'm, I'm thinking that that's probably talking about um the the uh i don't know i, I guess the most of their exposure to to americans would have been in los angeles or new york or places yeah. where they were recording big cities so i can see how that would be very different from what they were used to growing up so to speak until we started doing research i didn't know he was in this band but i always knew he was in bto oh so, yeah. yeah yeah isn't that funny yep well, this next one is definitely a deeper cut, but I was playing the whole album, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to feature this one. The name of this song is 815. Sounds like Hush a little bit for uh, for um, Deep Purple there. Mm, yeah. Not Ooh. that doesn't. That's <laughs> got that jangly guitar. Isn't that great? And I love, kind of, they're kind of talking back and forth. Oh, that sounds great, man. I'm not familiar with the song, but yeah. So, what is 8:15? What's the idea? So he just said, he just said, I've got a place. Have you been there? What time of day can you meet me? 8:15. <laughs> is it 8:15 in the morning? In the morning or in the evening? I don't know. I could not find anywhere about what 8:15 stood for. Hmm. But interestingly enough, they have another song on this album called 969. We featured it on What the Rip episode number 114, and it was about the oldest man. It was an instrumental. Right. Mm-hmm. So they have 815 and 969, the oldest man, is yeah. on this album. But they're both really good, but I just love this 815. So this is Burt Cummings and somebody else kind of bouncing yes. off each other here? Yes. I guess it's better I guess it's better to meet at 815 than it is 25 or 6 to 4. Yes. I'm more familiar with 515 by the Who. Out of my brain on <laughs> oh, a train. Oh yeah, yeah. There's your, there's your uh, Gary Peterson drum solo. Anybody know how they got their name? Uh, the Who was already taken. Well, <laughs> th- there, George Struth was with the record label, and he came across Chad Allen and the Expressions. Chad Allen was one of the founding members. And he's like, they, they had their single shaking all over. And he's like, I want to send this out to radio stations. And I want to get some interest. And so, according to uh, 
interview on Randy Bachman's Vinyl Tap Stories, he told the band, we'll let people guess who you are. That way they'll think you're a mystery British group. We'll start this rumor that this is a recording by some guys from various British bands like Rolling Stone, Beatles, Shadow. They couldn't put their names on it for contractual reasons, so they simply labeled it Guess Who. Oh. So they just put... This, so it was a marketing play. It was a marketing play. Ah, nice. sounds wonderful. Yeah, he, he sent it out. And, Gotta and, like that. And he, he sent it out to the radio station that just said, Guess Who? Question mark. What about the album cover? Did you ever really pay any attention to the album cover where it's this woman's face and they're inside it and she's... She's staring at him with one eye. I was like, she's <laughs> staring at me, Rob. American woman, better watch out. <laughs> I love the I love albums and looking at what they look like and trying to figure out the story behind them. That's one thing that you don't have anymore. You know, it was it was bad enough when we went from the album to the CD because it kind of shrunk down the album art. But now with you know people just downloading stuff, and I'm not against it. I mean, it's an it's an easy way to get. The music, but you miss something yeah. in that artwork. Oh, absolutely! And when you, especially when you could pull out the even the jacket and there yeah. was stuff in there. So. That's right. All right, this is the last one I'm bringing, and I just love this. This song. is my favorite song. I'm getting goosebumps. My favorite song by the Guess Who. Yes. Or songs. I guess you can call it songs. That's right. That's right. So this is the B side of the American Woman single, and the B side actually didn't have. New Mother Nature section in it. Oh, really? Yep. What do I mean by that? Well, Bachman had No Sugar Tonight, and Burton Cummings said it was too short. So they added a Cummings song called New Mother Nature, and uh, they put them together. And so it's two songs, No Sugar Tonight and New Mother Nature, put together in one. They and this is right at the time when you had Earth Day started out in 1970. We talked about earlier on the top of the show about the U.S. ending commercial whaling. Bruce, before the show, when we talked about that, you go, what? What's that? You, you said at the top of the show about commercial whaling by the U.S. That, said, there's the, that it went to 1970? That yeah. it went that far? Exactly. What were they? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Still well? I yeah. don't know what they were getting. But, yeah, this is the new Mother Nature. This is the new ecology we're going to start working Right. Well, I'd read that um, that Bachman was actually not a fan of drug use. Like, he was anti the drug lifestyle. Well, Bachman was a Mormon, wasn't he? Ah, that may explain it. But what's interesting is they added the lyrics in my coffee and in my tea. Yeah. So they added that because it was too sexual without it. Oh. So, um, but then they have this bag of goodies and a bottle of wine in another part of the song, and they thinking that it's kind of tying into LSD. Put a little bit of sugar, oh, you know. Oh, okay. Listen to that. So I got to share a quick little story. Many years after this, in 1987, I was an RA at Russell Hall, and these two guys showed up from Texas, Butch Hendricks and Anthony Fish. They were roommates. They came together, and they had this song, and they just they played this song. So this reminds me of my junior year at UGA and just hearing this song come out of the, you know, one of the rooms on the hall, and it was just like... And you knew who it was. Knew who it was. By the way, they brought this brand-new beer from Texas that you couldn't get anywhere else called Corona. 
they started this. <laughs> Maybe they did. Thanks, Listen, guys. Butch, Butch would be drinking Corona and he'd start singing this right here. I just remember him standing there in the hall. It's almost rapping. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a fast lyric, isn't it? Well, apparently Burt Cummings wrote a lot of hit songs. Yeah. One of them I wasn't expecting that he would have written was Clap for the Wolfman. Oh, really? That just came out of nowhere. It's funny what these guys write. Sometimes they write for other bands and other people. I read in an interview that this story came from Bachman walking down the street. He said he saw three tough-looking biker guys approaching. He felt threatened and was looking for a way to cross the street onto the sidewalk. When a little car pulled up, a woman about five feet tall got out of the car, shouting at one of them, asking where he'd been all day and that he left her alone with the kids, didn't take out the trash, and was down here watching the girls. The man suddenly was suddenly alone when his buddies walked away. Chastened, he got into the car as the woman told him before pulling away. And one more thing. You ain't getting no sugar tonight. <laughs> and there you oh, have I it. Love oh, that. that's fantastic. I love Isn't that, that awesome? <laughs> no, sh- no sugar. I like this little version here, yeah. too. And the bass line. I didn't realize that this was, I mean, I knew it was a different section of the song, but I didn't realize that they had actually put two songs together. Yeah, they, and, they, and here they're kind of working them both together. Yeah. They had both written them in F sharp. And they just happened to say that the tempo was the same, and they're like, hey, why don't we put these two together? That way it'll be the length that we need. That's why it's a great song. Yeah. Well, it's much better than doing it in in G flat. (laughs) It's just funny how it it came together. Rob, this is great, man. I'm enjoying this. And now we get back to the main thing. All right, who wrote that lyric? (laughs) I think I could have written that. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Nice. Enjoyed like the heck that. out of that. Yeah, maybe maybe Butch and uh, Anthony here heard that heard that. So, hey, we're going to switch over to our entertainment track, which is brought to us by Right Collin Financial, and this is a theme song. The theme from Wide World of Sports. Spanning the globe. Yep. To and Binko crashes during a ski jumping championship. His image is the one of agony, the agony of, of defeat. defeat. So ah. when you see this, that's him. Gotcha. In the opening credits the of Wild World of Sports. So also what happened uh, in film of March 1970, Airport. Remember those disaster movies? Burt Lancaster and oh, D. Martin was in that. <laughs> that's great. And my favorite, Gamera versus a giant devil beast. Uh, Gamera, if you remember, was the turtle that kind of had rockets for yeah, arms yep, and everything. Yep. <laughs> then the epic war film, Waterloo. Was uh, was 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 out then. It was had Rod Snyder, Christopher Plummer, and Orson Welles playing Louis the Eighteenth. Oh wow! So, I guess he could play that pretty yeah, well. So that was your entertainment of March 1970. Now we're going to move on to our staff picks. Slipping away, Bruce. And this what you is got for mine. us? This is Three Dog Night. Really? Does it sound like a song you've heard before? I know the song. It doesn't sound like something that you've heard. Here's the thing. When I when I looked at this one, I said, let me play that one and see what that's about. And I listened to it, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard that song. Oh, I have. Golly, but, are you but, kidding? But you, everybody has. So 
This was on the charts in March 1970. It peaked at number 25, and it's off of Three Dog Night's second studio album called Suitable for Framing. It's the last song on the album. There are three vocalists in Three Dog Night, right? And they're all taking lead on this song. So the first one, Danny Hutton sang that first lyric. And then you've got Chuck Negron is on the lead in verse two. And Corey Wells is going to take the lead on the verse three. And then he'll lead into a section that, that you've definitely heard. Sounds like a commercial to me. It sounds, yeah. It, you're you're getting a little bit of a feel for it. I love the three dog night harmonies. You yes. Know? Okay, everybody. Here we go. Clap your hands above your head. That's what I remember. Yes. Celebrate, That's celebrate, what you've heard. Yep. And I'm, I'm sure this is ten years ahead of you, so this is a lot more iconic for me than you guys. Probably, oh yeah. So you remember that? Oh, I do very well. I think I remember it from a Heinz commercial. <laughs> this is a big band. Um, Three Dog Night also had uh, Jimmy Greenspoon on uh, keyboards, Joe Schmiermi on bass, Michael Alsup on guitar, and Floyd Sneed on drums. That, by the way, those horns, you know where they're from? Where? Power Power? That's the Chicago horn section. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. You can oh, tell that, really. It, you can hear that sound go in that. Yeah. So in December 1972, so a few years after this, they hosted Three Dog Nights New Year's Rockin' Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and Dick Clark, was that was his first time on the Rockin' New Year's Eve. And of course, so that would become. So he co-opted the name. Pretty much. And he held up better than they did. A little bit better. A little bit better. They, they didn't even know it was going to be his at that time. That's right. That's right. They thought it was hit theirs, but it was actually his the whole time. Now, we do have to do a Three Dog Night album eventually because, uh, obviously, to me, they've They're got They're pretty a great, iconic, aren't they've they? They've got, from, from, say, like 68 to 74, they just had hit after hit. Yeah. I mean, and they were, they were top hits. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I featured one of their songs. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Well, now we're moving on to Wayne, and he's going to bring us something here that I am familiar with it. This is a little bit more poppy and everything. And and the thing is, is we kind of talked about the lead singer of this earlier on a previous podcast, so I just said, hey, why not? We, but this is Edison Lighthouse. They're a band formed in, formed in London. Um, they're best known for this hit called Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. Mm. So um, it reached number five on the billboard. And really? It sold over a million copies, so it went platinum for a single. Um, it was one of those songs that was, you know, we talked about in the 60s. A lot of times people would record a song that was previously recorded by another band but never went anywhere. This is yeah. another one of those that did that. So... But the, um, this is the guy we talked about, Tony Burroughs. He was in, we did White Plains, uh, My Baby Loves Lovin'. Oh, yeah. Remember that? We did that a while yeah. back. And this was one of those other hits that he did. And so, uh, you know, he was with, using, basically bounced around in all these different groups. This group was basically a studio group. And um, they decided to do this song 
for Top of the Pops, a popular uh, TV show in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. So they just needed somebody, and they got these groups of guys over here to play and called themselves Edison Lighthouse. And they got their name from... Thomas Edison? No! <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Stone Lighthouse is off the coast of Devon. Oh. So I thought it was Thomas Edison. So there is an Edison Lighthouse. It's Eddie Stone. Ed, oh, it's Eddie's Lighthouse. He tricked you, Rob. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I took the bait. You threw that, threw that out there and just kind of reeled you in. Reeled me in. Yeah. But this song is it's 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 really poppy. I, it's, it sort of kind of reminds me of the Osmonds or or any of those groups. That oh came yeah, out I could hear them. Just sort of real poppy, uh, and that's what I kind of like. And you know, some of some of those songs in the '70s I haven't heard of, but suddenly I go, wait a minute, man, that's a fun song. And this was kind of one of those. I would say it's a, again, it's like a commercial. I yeah, can, it's just happy. This song was featured in the closing scenes of Shallow How, so and it's also been in the uh, the Sopranos. Basically, it's about a girl who's kind of crazy. Her life's a little mystery, but the guy's in love with her anyway. So, but isn't that always the case? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. You just don't want to have him as an ex-girlfriend. Then it's really crazy. That's great. <laughs> That's great, Wayne. Thanks for bringing that. Now we're going to our guest, Mr. Cook. Bill, what you got? I guess you know who this is mm. and what the song might be. Let me see. If not, just let it be. Oh, okay. <laughs> this song actually transcends time if you when think about the lyrics of it. Um, Paul wrote this in 68 when um, time was really, in his life, it was really getting to him. Yeah. The other Beatles were married and moved out to their homes and things like that. He was really wandering and worried about the direction that his life was taking. Hmm. And, um, you know, with the travel and the partying and all this, he had a dream. His mother came to him. Guess what her name was? Mary. Oh, that's Mother Mary. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she comes to him and she says, let it be. He had never heard that before. When he woke up, he said, I've never heard that in my life. He got out of the bed, went to the piano, and wrote the song. Oh, how cool. Yeah, it's Man, that gives cool. me chills. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this is just a beautiful song. Yeah, oh, really it truly is. is. I and I, you know, now that I'm an old man, I, I look back and I realize I've taken this band and so many others, Billy Joel, fill in the blank, I've taken them for granted. Yeah. Uh, I shared uh, a video where, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, Carpool Karaoke, you know that? Yeah. He was on there with this Corden guy, and they went all over Liverpool. They went to Penny Lane and all these different places. Oh, I've seen part of that. Wasn't that cool? Yes. One of the coolest things, they went into a pub, and everybody in the pub didn't know that Paul was there. He was behind a curtain with the band. Not the Beatles, but with a band. Yeah. And um, so they could go, people in the pub could go up to the um, uh, the jukebox. They could pick a song, and as soon as it started to play, the curtain opened, and Paul and the band were there playing whatever song they picked. Oh, interesting. Wouldn't you love to have been sitting oh, in that pub? In a that pub. Day? <laughs> it was such a cool thing to watch. All right, I would have picked Helter Skelter. <laughs> people were sitting in that pub crying. I've you know. I love that. So you're saying that, like, his other bandmates, they were getting on with their life and had families and all that, and he's like, what am I doing? I'm just partying. I'm just 
Like it was that was that kind of his? Yeah. Who would have ever thought that somebody like that was worried about anything? Almost yeah. lonely. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Hmm. I love that. You know, a fun fact: um, Paul McCartney did a version of this song on Sesame Street, <laughs> but it was called Letter B. Do you remember oh, that? I love that. <laughs> I did not know that. Letter B. I think if you're a musician and you get on Sesame Street, you've really made it. <laughs> I think the Beatles made it well before then. <laughs> you know, during that uh, carpool karaoke, they even went to his boyhood home and rang the doorbell, and the lady that lived there opens the door, and she just like, he comes in and sits down and starts playing her piano. Oh, man. Could you imagine? He's got to be one of the most well-known yeah, artists. Oh, yeah. And I sure. saw uh, Ringo Starr the uh, other day had his 80th birthday party or something, and he's he's still kicking, looking great. And Paul seems to be a truly humble guy. He does. Yeah. Actually, March of 70 is when Ringo Starr re- uh, released his first solo album. Oh, really? Yep. And is Ringo Starr still a uh, Atlanta native? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he is. Did he move out? Okay, he was in Atlanta for a, a good while. But his mom must have been a really wise woman. Yeah, let, let it be. be. Yeah, it's a song for today. Yeah, absolutely, that's very, uh, very telling. That's good point, Bill. Thanks for bringing that, man. Yes, sir. Now we're going to move on to our last staff pick, and then we just roll it all the way back. Who brought us the album? It's going to Rob. Rob, what you got? Well, when you listen, you may not recognize it initially, but the I words will tell you. The city streets. You used to walk along with me. Another one of those pop songs. Yep. This song was originally written in the 1960s by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Originally recorded as a demo by Dionne Warwick in 1963. This is always something there to remind me, sung by R.B. Greaves. And it reached number 27 in February of 1970. That's a very different version than what I'm used to. Who's the one we... I, I, I know the song... You're more familiar with Naked Eyes yes. in 1983. Going, that's right. Now I'm going to I'm going to I got that album on my list of albums to do. So yeah. You're going to do the album. I'm going to do the oh, album. Oh cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I I um I love the Naked Eyes version which was in 1983 and that's the first time it reached number 20. RB Greaves here reached number 27. He was an American singer and he had a lot of chart success. In 1969, with a single called "Take a Letter, Maria," you remember that? Yeah, "Take a Letter, Maria." Yeah, yeah, and that was a number two hit on Billboard 100. And this song uh, uh, sold one million copies. That that song sold one million copies. In addition to this song, he covered Procol Harum's "A Wider Shade of Pale." I found that on on uh, YouTube, and that was really good too. But yeah, listen to that. I, this really is one of my favorite songs from the from the eighties. I can but, see, you know, like Dean Martin or whatever else smoking a cigarette and in yeah. a tuxedo, just singing a song with the background group yeah. behind him. You know, yeah. In fact, he's he's kind of walking around. A, there's a video with him walking around this living room set, and he's sitting on the arm of the chair and he's singing. You know. <laughs> But when I saw that, I saw always something there to remind me, and I immediately thought of Naked Eyes, and I'm like, yeah. ooh, I want to feature that. But is Herb Alpert playing in this? You can hear that. You know it what? It does sound like it Herb really Alpert, does. doesn't it? It really does, and I'm a, I'm a Herb Alpert fan. But, uh, 
I had a friend, Bill Moss. Uh, this was my ringtone for him because when this song came out, he was uh, he had just broken up with his first major girlfriend, uh, yeah. and you know he just he he hated this song because he said it makes me think of Melissa every time. <laughs> the naked eyes, and so I had I had it as my ringtone, which is appropriate because that version has all the bells. Right, and it, you know, so you hear the bells ringing when the phone rings. But I think that is that might be. I'm gonna have to look that up. It's 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 definitely herbish. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All, All right. right. Well, hope you enjoyed that oldie. Sounds great, Rob. And now we're going to end our show usually with an instrumental or a comedy song. And we got a comedy song coming up, and then we're going to talk about what we didn't talk about earlier. This is Rufus Thomas. Listen. Do the funky chicken. <laughs> 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 I love the soul. Of course, I can see the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah, no I doubt. I can see Blues Brothers doing yeah. this. No doubt. All right, top hits March 1970, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Traveling Band by CCR. Rainy Night in Georgia. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. The weirdest album that came out, Charles Manson Live came out. I think this is while he was, I, I, I think he was arrested, but he hadn't been convicted yet. So, oh, man. You know, I forgot he we was We talked a about musician. all that, if you remember a while back on that. I do remember that. Then uh, Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul, and Mary pleads guilty to taking immoral liberties with a 14-year-old girl. I'm surprised they caught him on that one. There are so many other rock characters. Taking moral liberties. <laughs> yes. Immoral. Immoral liberties. Immoral liberties. Okay, that's, that makes more yeah. sense. Dennis Joplin is fined $200 for using obscene language during a concert in Tampa, Florida. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that Janis Joplin (laughs) would do that. Hello, Darling was released by Conway Twitty. Conway Twitty? Becomes the song of the year of 1970. I remember seeing the commercials with Conway Twitty albums, you know, for um, Uh, all the hits rolling by, you know. Greatest hits by Conway Twitty. (laughs) Miles Davis has the double album Bitches Brew. Oh, man. And that's fantastic. The Beatles released Let It Be, and we talked about that, and obviously Ringo Starr's song. Uh, Joni Mitchell had Ladies of the Canyon. The Southern rock group Mountain had Climbing. We talk about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Mm-hmm. Deja Vu came out uh, at that time also. That was one of those great, iconic. Alice Cooper, The Faces, and the Amboy Dukes all had albums out along with Three Dog Night. And Ginger Baker, Air Force. He was the drummer for Cream. He had an, a live album out. I can just see Rob doing the funky chicken right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm trying to just... figure out how you do that. I don't hear the chicken anymore, the chicken sounds. I think he's explaining how, how you to do, do the it? funky chicken right I'll now. I'll have to listen to this and figure that it's out. It's a line dance. We might put put that video on the uh, on What the Riff Facebook page. Oh, man. Well, I... I uh, I think we'll br- I'll bring we'll bring this one to an end. This has been March of 1970. What the riff? And we're glad that Bill Cook joined us. Glad to be here. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. You definitely contributed. If you get worried about anything, just let it be. Let it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So signing off. I'm Rob. I'm Wayne. I'm Bruce. And I'm part time Bill. And we'll <laughs> see you guys next time. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. 
special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?